I want out. Now. To a point where people already know it's like a, a glut of information that doesn't really need to be known. And that's what I'm here, to get that people glut. People should know, uh, you know, the troop movements in El Salvador along the border with the CIA or something as opposed to like what Al Jorgensen's favorite breakfast cereal is. That's, that's a lot more important to me. Closing comments now that Lollapalooza is kind of history? Um, the only thing I said about Lollapalooza the whole time was that it was a tour that I really wish I could hate, and I, and I didn't. I wound up really liking it. I made some friendships on that tour um, that'll last forever. And, and I know it's not any, like, juicy gossip or anything. I know that's what everyone wants. Like, you know, give me some inside dirt. This is one of those questions and, that you get from the press, yeah, the reason exactly, you're not doing interviews there is, again. There's no inside dirt. So everyone got along really well, and I'm really, really glad I did it. It's a, it's a tour, like I said, I wanted to hate, and I just couldn't find a reason to hate. I really had a good time, and everyone was, like, really good. I met a lot of really nice people on this tour. And now Ministry is on their own headlining tour. That's going good. Us. They just, they, it's like, point us to the stage. Right. But you like playing. Not really. I mean, I, 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 I'm not a real big fan. The rest of the band likes playing live. I'm not a real big fan of playing live. I, I'd much rather be twiddling knobs in a studio. Mm. A lot of people would say I'd rather be twiddling knobs in a bathroom or a bedroom. <laughs> Incredible. And then it'll just say you punch Neil Young in the face yeah, or something course. like that. Of course, of course. After I got done dispensing with you, right? No, it was uh, it was incredible. That was that was wild. It was like some kind of uh, you know Entertainment Tonight rerun backstage or something. Entertainment Tonight, huh? Well, it's part two of our 30th anniversary because today is the official uh, 30th anniversary of Ministries Psalm 60. Yeah. 30 years ago, the world was a different place. Last night, we read, well, I, we, like there's two of me. No, I don't have a twin, thank God. Um, Welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast Music Edition. That's just for you, Adam. Yeah. Adam, Adam likes things well. He, he likes me to be correct now, don't you? He's part of the creatures of the night, along with Jason and Chris Wetzke. Um, so here we go. Um, released July 14th, 1992. Oh, jeez. I always love it when they put recorded when. Do you really, Wikipedia, do you really know when these fucking albums were recorded? No. No. Ah. Uh, it's such a magical release. Ugh. Etymology. The title of the album is linked to chapter 69 of the Book of Lies, a written work by of Alistair Crowley, Crowley where, where he uses the expression the way to succeed and the way to suck eggs as a pun for 69 sex position, suck seed and suck eggs. Moreover, Crowley titled the chapter... Uh, Kiola, which translates literally as shrugged and contains the sound i.e. licks, but as a second meaning, it is a compound of Greek head and encoded alphabet reference to 69, which both have slang meanings in English for sexual acts. Subsequent to the album's release, Ministry put 
multiple references to the number 69 in future albums. For example, the dark, the album's Dark Side of the Spoon and the Houses of Mole both have hidden tracks uh, hidden tracks at track 69. A further reference to the number was exhibited on Houses Mole with the hidden track at 23 titled Psalm 23, one-third of 69. The, out, the cover art depicts a silhouette of an angel surrounded by clocks and other miscellaneous objects as border icons it was designed by photographer paul ellidge who conceived the layout after jorgensen handed him a copy of alistair crawley's 1918 book of lies final cover image was a triple exposure of three images on one piece of film the angel was a model from chicago uh, chicago's art institute who was wearing the angel wings crafted by the artist's wife <coughs> at the time it took uh, ellidge a week to complete the cover art Oh, look, Rolling Stone was handsome with their little review. Um, New World Order was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Metal Performance at the Grammy Awards, but lost to Nine Inch Nails, which I'm sure that really had to hurt. Um, Video gamer composer Frank Clapecci cited Psalm 69 album as a primary influence in creating the soundtrack for the 1995 video game Command & Conquer. Oh, yes. Psalm 69 was number 27 on the Billboard Fuck 200. Jesus Built My Hot Rod, NWO were hits along with Just One Fix. I mean, the whole album is amazing. Jesus Built My, Built My Hot Rod featuring Gibby Haynes of Butthole Surfers. You know, they did that song Pepper. Remember that? It's all it's all the ministry vibe tonight. But as I've said before, ministry aren't really just one album they're an amalgamation of all of these albums stitched together because that is their legacy that is their legacy and if I can I mean I I couldn't interview Al I would have loved to on uh, the 30th anniversary um so let's just go. I mean, you know, there's there's so much floating around online of him talking about different albums. You could tell, though, at that time in 92, he was just basically bored. Um, and I think a little of it was the drug use. And it was the times, you know, everyone was on this grunge kick and, it, and that ended. And, you know, ministry was still ministry. You know the the way the industry works is the hot. You know it's like it's like TikTok songs or K-pop. Oh, here we go. Okay, this is an interview Al Jorgensen did with Revolver. Okay. So let's go over to Leary and Burroughs, because I'm assuming. Here we go. Here's uh, Jorgensen talking about Burroughs. They're more like temporary nation, and the younger ones are like, how do they do that? This is amazing, you know, and I want to be like them. Whereas the other 
Hall of Fame guys for me are just like, no, I am them. This is yeah. great. There's other people like me. It makes that's, you feel good. That's really special. What um, what do you? I've I've got to ask as well. Like talking about like people you've learned from and you've connected with. You said. Yeah, like Timothy Leary, what did you learn the most from that experience? Just to go on a hard right, non-musical thing. What what did you walk away from that, like spending those two years with him as a, what did it bring back to you as a musician, as an artist and stuff? Nothing as far as musician or artist, but I I did learn about um, how to face death. Wow. While I was living with him, he had his terminal diagnosis, and it was only a matter of time. Yeah. So, uh, how do you face that? What do you think? A lot of talks with him about that. Yeah. I I learned more from him about, like, like, I no longer am afraid of death. Yeah. And, and, you know, and and that's the human condition. Everyone's afraid of death. That's why we make decisions that we do, because everyone's paranoid. Yes. But... And uh, by the time, you know, uh, I was done with Tim and I got back into ministry and went back on the road, like that was just a hiatus for me. It was kind of like a pilgrimage, like the Beatles went to go see the Maharaji and I went to go see Leary for a while. And uh, that's the most thing I learned about him was more about like, um, you know, internalizing uh, things that don't make sense. Yeah. That's fairly profound, really. I mean, you've had a lot of a lot of input over the years. It seems like you've taken in a lot. Like you've, oh, I'm a, yeah. I'm a sponge, man. Yeah, like it's really uh, interesting. Burroughs and Leary and yes, the Burroughs story is amazing. Billy Gibbons and Rick Nielsen and it's just like they. They have all taught me so much to meet them in like 80, yeah, 81. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, yeah, your mind is spinning and, and all of a sudden, you know, you have all these new topics being talked about that speak to the people, much like rap does today. That's why rap's big is because their lyrics speak to what the people need. Yeah. Having so got to the point where they're just singing about obscure items like, Gandalf and wizards and castles and uh, you know oh and Satan and this and whatever yeah uh, rap talks to what people need punk talk to what people need you yeah. know um, and and everyday problems and so you know I, I totally could relate to all that stuff yeah. you know and 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 yet still keep some of that that great true 70s sound of uh, you know whether it's uh, Robin Trower or or uh, ZZ Top or, yes. or you know it's just like come on that that stuff sonically is great now if you could put some pertinent lyrics on that and yeah. uh, throw samples on there throw it in the OL blender hit play and uh, let's see what happens how does the blender work like I was reading you were doing all this cut up like Burroughs type stuff back when it was tape. How does the process, how do you do it now? Like, how do you kind of get into that when it's not quite the same physical process? Oh, thank God. It's <laughs> all Pro Tools, um, yeah. you know, like something like cutting up Gibby's vocals on Jesus Built My Hot Rod was literally 
16 hour days for two and a half to three weeks straight, just getting a vocal, getting my guitar part on Thieves yeah. to be, uh, you know, that synchronized was also editing and also playing. Uh, back then, you, like now, you just like hit autocorrect and it's, it's, it's easy now. But back, yeah, that, that's it's like, um, I work with Arabian Prince now, you know, the, the, the scratcher. So that's, um, Al Jorgensen of Ministry talking to Revolver magazine in an interview for about from about a year ago. And um, here we are, Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, uh, music edition. I hate saying that, but whatever. I don't know. It's all it's all one to me. It's it really is all one. And um, if we if we shall, <coughs> let's read a little from the book. Um, I mean, I would love to interview him and just ask him, what do you think of music now? Is it really, I mean, how do you, how do you stand, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll just say this, you know, it's kind of funny that Britney Spears broke down on the freeway. I know some of you have done that. You ran out of money on the freeway. I, or gas, um, but come on, she's got money. She's rich. She has assistants who should be making sure she's got a full fucking tank. All right. Ah, this is what I wanted to read. This is what happened. This is, this is, this is, uh, here we go. Another interesting running came when we played LA. I used to get two bottles of Bushmills on my rider and one for my extra kick. I'd put it hits a, a blotter acid in one of them and let it dissolve in LA. When I got off stage, there were two kids there and they said, man, that was so awesome. God, it was kind of like that moment in 1979 Coke commercial when Pittsburgh Steelers defended defensive tacky mean Joe Green hobbled off the field after a bad game and this little kid followed him and told him he thinks he's the best ever I gave him a coke then mean Joe tossed the kid his jersey well I handed my bottle of Bushmills out to these dudes forgetting it was one with the acid in it it turned out to be these guys they, these were the guys from Tool and this was before they had released anything they told me later they tripped for two days and were pissed before long they were at, were huge and came to Austin they were psycho dialing me asking are you coming to the show are you coming to the show and I was like okay I'll come their tour manager met me out in the parking lot with 20 hits of acid saying I know you really loved uh, acid and these guys wanted to get you some I'm sorry but it really it's really shitty acid you'll have to do a lot to feel it any anything at all I did five or six hits because it was really bad stuff. Not. The stuff was awesome. I was tripping so hard I was getting all crazy. Flaming Lips opened the show and during their set, I climbed the PA stack and jumped into the crowd over and over until security threw me out. I had a Toyota Twin Turbo Supra with a wing in the back that would do a 180, but I was so high I couldn't remember how to shift gears. I drove this, uh, the 60 miles home at 35 per hour at first gear wasted out of my mind the engine sounded like a sewing machine but absolute best part of Lollapalooza and the thing that made up for all the shitty times was when I got wanted to crawl into a corner and die was when I met Timothy Leary he came to see us because William S. Burles called him up and said you've got to meet this guy he's nuts 
he came backstage after the show and we hit him up we hit it off immediately tim was the first adult who explained shit to me not the birds and the bees or that you could do things this way he encouraged me to open up I lived with him years later and it opened up new corridors that I never knew existed. It's like the doors were painted over and built into walls so I couldn't see them. Tim had the key that allowed me uh, to be able to go through these do those doors and accomplish a bunch of crazy shit. But I never would have done it if not for him. I have one photo in my wallet. It's not my grandma, my daughter, my wife, or my dogs. It's Tim. He was by far the most important person in my life, but more than more about Tim later. Oh, here we go. Madonna briefly re-entered my life around the time we were getting all this attention for Lollapalooza. She had started her own label, Maverick, and wanted to have dinner with me to talk about having me producing all the bands she would sign. I'm my own worst enemy when it comes to things like this. It would have been a great opportunity to sit and produce bands I had no personal investment in and not have to worry about having to create under pressure and tour all the time. I would record my own stuff whatever, whenever I wanted. It seemed perfect, but all I could think about was how Madonna smelled like dog shit. I was on tour and roaming, rooming with Mike, Mike and told him, I can't do this. That girl stinks like fuck. There is no way I could sit through dinner with her. I would puke. So I said, why don't you go? She doesn't re really know me. We met once. You may be, uh, so you may be me and report back. Mike agreed, and he was excited to meet her because she's famous. So he went to this fancy restaurant they're meeting at and ordered three or four bottles of crystal champagne, Cristal, and a bunch of appetizers, then started talking to Madonna. She asked him about some production questions, and the first thing out of Mike's mouth was, I don't know. I got to ask Al. So Madonna realized it wasn't me at the dinner. She got angry and walked out, and that was that. There was another point during Lollapalooza when I bumped heads with record label royalty. Only this time it was the other head. Partway through Lollapalooza, I learned that Sire wouldn't give us the tour support that we needed. And we really needed it. Not just for drugs, but because there was a $20,000 fine at every show if you went over 90 decimals. And we uh, regularly clocked in at between 125 and 127. I can say that because I lost my hearing at one of their shows. So I knew we were going to get fined. And I figured I'd rather be fine than have to turn down the volume and sound like shit. My manager, Johnny Z, the same guy who signed Metallica, put, put out their first signed album and later managed Anthrax, argued my case with our label rep, Howie Klein, who said they would pay for the fines, but they didn't. So I beat off into... <laughs> a Ziploc bag and mailed it to Howie at Sire. I called him up the next day and asked, did you get my package? He said, like, yeah, what is that? Some kind of drug? It smelled horrible. I laughed my, office, my ass off and said, no, it's my sperm. And if you don't get our support, support every member of the band and crew will be sending you bodily fluids every week. We got our support back. By the end of Lollapalooza, I didn't feel victorious. I wasn't inspired. I was strung out and miserable. And at Salt to the when I was in trouble with my daughter's teachers. Adrienne was seven years old and had been to see ministry play at Lollapalooza. Being the ever responsible father, I had her stand on the side of the stage and wear kind of headphones to put on shooting ranges so you don't damage your hearing when she got back to school it was jobs day when all the students talked about what their parents did for a living my dad's a doctor he makes sick people better my dad's an electrician he fixes people's lights when they break when it was adrian adrian's turn she said my daddy's away on most of the time and he screams and spits a lot and at the time she didn't understand 
what being a musician was all about. And when she was saw me on stage, it looked like I had belonged back at the mental hospital. Not only that, but she also said, my dad's hockey player, because when I come off tour, the only thing I can do at home was play Nintendo hockey. It was the only video game I ever played. I'd play the Czech Republic versus Russia versus United States over and over, just sitting there nodding my thumbs before I'd nod off. The teachers were confused and horrified, so they called me for a meeting with the PTA to see if there was any sort of abuse going on in the house. Sure there was, but not child abuse, drug abuse. So Patty and I both wore long sleeves and covered up our track marks and talked to the teachers down, explaining to them that I play video games sometimes and this little rock and roll band that traveled the world. And traveling the world sucked because it meant kicking dope. I wasn't about to cross the border with amounts of cocaine and heroin I needed, so I'd go cold turkey and get sick and go into withdrawal. I'd curl up into a ball, okay. On Halloween 1992, we started touring Psalm 69 in Belgium and then played Germany, France, Italy, Holland, and the UK. All the gigs had to be uh, scheduled near our drug connections. The heroin and coke were advanced to our hotels. Oh my god, Al Jorgensen, you fucker. Yep. Oh, that's Psalm 69. I went on stage with, I went on stage with this giant crystal chandelier on my head, and during the first note of the first song, NWO, we blew out all the electricity. There was a red wagon in the dressing room. We had a keg full of beer with our rider, so I got on the wagon, rolled it on stage, still wearing my chandelier hat, and for about an hour, I sat and drank beer with the fans while they fixed the electricity. It worked out great because the, by the time they got the PA fix, I was more drunk than tripped out, so I was more in my element a week later we played san francisco at the bill graham auditorium with sepulatora and helmet and metallica guitarist kirk hammond asked if he could join us on stage so we arranged for him to come and play lead guitar during our cover of black sabbath supernaut mike and Luis savat were ministries touring guitarists at the point and they were cool with it so we started the song and kirk came out and started wailing the car guitar it was really getting into it I don't know if there was a fan blowing or whatever, but he looked like he was fucking in a fucking 80s pop video. After uh, finishing the rest of the U.S. dates, we somehow recorded Revolting Cox album, Linger Fucking Good. <laughs> we actually started that thing in 1990. And so that's Psalm 69. 30 years later. Um, I wish I could have... Al Jorgensen on the show. I sound like a little kid. Please, Uncle Al, come on my show. I want to tell you how much I love ministry. So, maybe I should do that. Just pretend that I'm a little kid. Saying, Hi, Al. <laughs> no. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, my God. listening to your music for a long time. It's loud as fuck. And when I used to hear Psalm 69, I, it's like a Linda Blair thing from The Exorcist. And I become possessed. And I throw all my pop records out the radio. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I sound like something from Rick and Morty. <laughs> um, yeah, there. <laughs> you know what's funny is um, one time <laughs> one time at band camp no i'm just kidding there were a couple of times i was stoned off of edibles and i was listening to ministry and i was dancing around 
and I thought this is so much better than listening to Daft Punk because here's the thing if you're ever in that element and and dance music comes on that's like rave music and your brain is like oh my god don't want they shut up is that the only word they know because they repeat it over and over and over I like I like Daft Punk some of their stuff but seriously when you're in that element no that's when you need metal uh, this is day two and so to Al Jorgensen of the magical ministry for all that you have given us these 30 fucking uh, 30 actually 40 years of al albums I am just in awe pick up a copy of ministry or the lost gospels according to al jorgensen with joe john wiederhorn this is this this makes uh, motley crew look like an after school special and i'm saying that i can't stand motley crew and i'm gonna go see them in september it wasn't my idea so <coughs> yeah but I, at least i get to see joan jet so that's the dr zeus film podcast 30 years of Psalm 69. 69, 69, 69, 69, 69, 69. Unpleasant dreams.